This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Ben Nadalski has been on the Ogden City Council for over seven years. He works in wildlife management, and as a former Weaver State athlete, he created and runs a youth athletic program in Ogden. And this year, he's put his name in as a candidate for Ogden City Mayor. That polarization is a huge distraction from progress for people. And so you're hearing enough about my campaign, I hope, that you're seeing that our priority is people. And a lot of folks are asking, what does that mean? And it means putting them first, putting what they need first. What is their priority every day? I'm a father of two girls and a a husband of an amazing wife. And we have the day-to-day struggles that everybody has. And that's not, I'm not saying that we have this struggle life. I'm just saying that there's just these things that you have to do to grow and to be our best. And I call them, I've always called them kitchen table issues. When we're sitting at the dinner table and we're talking about our day, what were the things that we had to endure or to overcome? And I don't want the city to be a thing that some family or some kids have to overcome. I want the city to be something that the families and the kids see as a partner in their day-to-day life. You know, we're there to facilitate opportunities. What the people make of those opportunities is up to them, but I don't want their energy going into fighting us or overcoming us or being frustrated with us. We are purely a facilitator and provider of those opportunities. A lot of people, when you're in politics, of course, because of all the national rhetoric and everything, they'll paint a picture over all of the local candidates that we have this political bent and that we're off looking for this career. Mm-hmm. It's not the case. I don't think anybody in this race is in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. We're all in it for Ogden. They all, we all love this place. Um. So... Are you originally from Ogden? You transplanted here at some point long ago, right? Yep. Yeah, I came here from Arizona. Grew up in Phoenix. Um, came here to play football and go to school at Weber State. Okay. What go Wildcats. Defensive end. Nice. <laughs> My neck was about twice the size that it is now. And so did you meet your wife here? Did she come? With yeah, you? yeah. So I came here to in 97. Uh, my wife, Janie, played basketball and volleyball at Weber State. And we met just student athletes are always in the weight room. And so we kind of met through mutual friends. So I fell in love with Weber State, mm-hmm. fell in love with my wife at Weber State, and then we fell in love with Ogden together. And what's your career outside of the city council? Um, so I have a career in wildlife conservation and wildlife management. Mm. It's been my dream career my whole life since I was probably about 10 years old. Yeah. My dad would take me camping, and we'd never pass a game warden without talking t- to them. And, I mean, it was like a moment for me to get an autograph. That's how much I revered them. Yeah. And so, and so what does that involve? Um, well, it's, is it administrative? It is today. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I came up through the ranks as a biologist. Oh, okay. um, I started my career actually picking up dead animals on the side of the road. Cause in my career, you work your way to the top. You don't, right. you don't start at the top at all. all. Right. And you have to do anything you can to keep your face present, your name relevant. Oh. And so I picked up dead animals on the side of the road for months on months and one day I walked in the office and there's a bunch of boys from Kentucky there. And at that time we were trading elk that we had too many of for turkeys oh. with Kentucky that they had too many of them. So we reestablished turkeys and they reestablished elk. Really? And I walked through having just played college football and I was really big. Turns out they had been getting their butts kicked by all these elk all day long and they couldn't physically handle it all. And so I came in and just, that or was like my job. Wrangling elk? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So we, we do a lot of aerial capture in our industry. Oh, um, so it's like herding with a helicopter. Is that what you're talking about? 
So I was about 265 pounds at the time and I would hang out the side of the helicopter standing on the, on the landing gear and shoot a net over the top of the elk as it's running. Really? And then, you know, you need to make sure it doesn't get up in the prop and everything. It's really, really dangerous work, but, uh -huh. um, and then the, the pilot would lower you down and you'd jump out of the helicopter into the deep snow and you got to wrestle up that elk and, um, you know, there's safety measures for, for, for the elk and for, for, for me. Uh -huh. So we put blindfold on them and hobble them and hook them to the bottom of the chopper and take them in to get them processed. But it turned out I was so heavy, the helicopter kept tilting <laughs> to the side. So after a few days of jumping out of the helicopter, they put me on the ground crew and that was just hands down the funnest role. It was better than jumping out of a helicopter. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's how I really got my career. I kind of made a name for myself doing that for a while and that led to bighorn sheep and mountain goats and got to spend time on a moose crew, um, tranquilizing moose and moving them all over to safer places. Huh. And then I, um, I got a job being a fisheries biologist and the division of wildlife resources paid for me to get my master's degree. And uh, I studied uh, a lot of river restoration. So they sent me around the country to study how other communities are doing it. And then I came back and did that for Ogden city in really? the downtown on the Ogden river restoration project. That's cool. So $6 million there that we put together through a really broad coalition and partnership of, of people and organizations. How long ago was that? Uh, that started in 08. Okay. Finished in about 11. And we turned a really blighted and polluted stretch of river. It was a real impediment to progress for Ogden oh, yeah. into a blue ribbon fishery. It's a beautiful place now. Mm. So that's a really proud project of mine. I did similar projects around Northern Utah for quite some time. And then I kind of volunteered for getting into the policy and political world at the the division we have a, a good partnership with the governor's public lands office and at the time i was assigned to uh, implement an executive order for the governor governor herbert at the time mm -hmm. and i coordinated with eight different state agencies to implement that order across a bunch of public lands and uh, then was also put in charge of overseeing legislative affairs for the agency so i would work with the whole, entire legislature on a number of policy issues and bills but also in securing our appropriation i see um and then after that I, I'm in my current role where I oversee operations in Northern Utah. So currently it's administrative, but it hasn't always been. Yeah. The legislative stuff. I'm just curious about that. That was like, you're figuring out what bills the division needs to operate successfully and then pushing those to the legislature basically. Yeah. It's not, it's a little bit of a fine line. We don't lobby as mm -hmm. state agency, but you, we are the executive branch. It's the same form of government we actually have here in Ogden. Right. Um, so I would be down there working with the legislative branch as a member of the executive and then I would drive up north and be a member of the legislative branch working with the executive. Yeah. So I know what it's like to be on both sides. Yeah. And um, oftentimes we would see a need in state statute and we would have to make a request that a legislature, legislator run that bill for us. Oh, I see. But oftentimes bills would pop up and we would ask if we could have input. And oftentimes we got to the point where they would ask us for our input before they ran the bill because they want our input. And so it's up to us to be reliable you know, to have the integrity and the information we provide and so on that they'll trust us and ask us for that info. Right. So it sounds like maybe that Ogden River stuff was what sort of got you a little more involved in city politics. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'd say so. Before that, I'd done a lot of local volunteering with the Gold Foundation and the Wildcat Club or all these things that, you know, things that we, I cared about. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the time that I really fell in love with Ogden. And so to see the professional opportunity with the Ogden River was a I was really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And having spent all that time traveling the country and getting all these certifications, I mean, the the physics and the math are really intense. And 
So it was really fun to put that to work and combine the expertise with the partnerships mm-hmm. with my passion for our community. And it was like a perfect storm. It was just aligned everything that I cared about at the time. Mm. And I met some amazing people in that project, lifelong friendships. Yeah. What about, so how old are your kids? They're 12 and 13. And so, uh, like, are you a coach? Something like that? Always. Yeah. Yeah. What are the, what are some of the other things that you're doing around town? Um, so my wife and I are heavily invested in coaching. Uh, we've both coached soccer, football, basketball, um, and softball and a little bit of volleyball for my wife, not me, but we've been for a number of years have helped a lot of kids, but we've also developed a program called Ogden Untamed. It's a, it's a youth recreation program that is intended to cover this gap that is out there. The youth recreation as a whole across the country is a little out of control. Um, you have to have a lot of money. Uh, kids have to have tons of support and resource to participate and it's not fair. And a lot of our kids just can't do that. And we don't want to do that. We want to be the kind of community that supports kids having opportunities and removing those barriers mm-hmm. um, and letting them play as many sports as they want, not having to specialize when they're in kindergarten. Yeah. Right. So Ogden Untamed is a program that provides a competitive level of play at a rec level of pay. And it's really, really a great program. And the only thing it's missing is going bigger and better and more and more. And so that's been our focus is building that program, coaching the kids in the program, um, engaging with the parents. We drive all over town to take kids to practice all the time. We ship them to tournaments with us. Um, those kids are really kind of an extension of our family. It's, those are the kids that our kids are growing up with, and they're all over town. Huh. And we love that. So our kids are building relationships with kids at every school in the city. But it's just like supporting kids in whatever sports they're participating in. Is that right? No. So we have, we've got multiple sports for both boys and girls. Mm. So baseball and softball, boys and girls, basketball. We have volleyball, which is mostly girls, but it's co-ed up, up to a certain age in volleyball. Oh. Um, we're looking to start flag football. And so the program can support just about any sport that we can afford to support. I see. But what we do is we take kids, we kind of have a feeder where our, our youth recreation program is the opportunity for everybody to come and learn and love the games and the sport. And then for those kids that are looking for more challenge and want to go to the next level, we have this as an option. Mm. And, um, and so we, we, we always look to feed from our recreation program and it's nice to do tryouts and to have opportunities for everybody, mm-hmm. but it's important that we don't put them in a position where they don't have a chance to succeed. So we can put them in untamed if they're ready. And if they're not, they can spend more time in, in the rec program until they are. And so that's how we make sure that everybody has a chance to play yeah. and grow and learn and so on. And so what was it? Was there something that kind of pushed you into initially running for city council? How did that all start? I mean, at that time, it was just about us. It's about Ogden, about community. I was right on the heels of that river restoration project. Mm-hmm. I just had fallen in love with working collaboratively with people and and that's honestly the culture I have at my work. We're just a really people-centered agency. Mm-hmm. And you so, feel like there was an element of just like uh, you started to understand how government worked, and so you, you know, then you felt like you could participate more. Do you think there was yeah, some of that? Yeah, I just, I just felt like there was more for me to give, and I, that's where I was passionate. And frankly, I, I didn't grow up thinking that was what I was going to do, but I did grow up in that background with my mom. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was, I grew up in Phoenix. My mom. Um, ran for city council and succeeded and served a number of years in, in Phoenix. She was a, 
a big deal there. Uh-huh. Ser- served a stint as vice mayor, ran for mayor and nearly won, but didn't quite win. But so I grew up watching my parents make an impact. Yeah. Um, like very real impacts. There was a time where a freeway was going to go right through my neighborhood because we were that low income area that, that was targeted for mm-hmm. destruction. And so my mom and dad stood in the way yeah. and they, they made it happen. And today you see the reflection of the work they did all over that city. And so I think I brought that love for city and community yeah. with me when I came here, not realizing it at the time, cause I was focused on football and school, uh-huh. then meeting my wife and then getting married, starting our lives together. So it just kind of organically grew into over time. I'm like, you know, I'm a lot like my mom. My sister's the same way. She's the deputy city manager of Mesa City in Arizona, multi-billion dollar organization. <laughs> we just follow in our parents' footsteps sometimes. Yeah, that's great. And so you've been on the council for eight years, is that right? Uh, seven and some change. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's this is your third term, is that right? Second. second this is term. your second term. Oh, yeah. okay. And how many times have you been chair? Twice. Twice. Because that's, that's, I feel like, I don't know, that's like the most visible on the council. That's like where I feel like when I watch, I, I watch most of the council meetings on YouTube and... You know, the chair is the one you kind of get to know, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what are, like, the important things that you think the council does? Well, I mean, technically, we're the legislative branch. We are we oversee the budget uh-huh. and the ordinance, and I think those are the most important things. When you think about priorities, if it's not in the budget, it's not a priority, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's hugely important that we have a, a fiscal stewardship uh, approach. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of things that the administration wants that, it's up to us to decide if we agree or not. Mm. Um, what often people don't realize is that there's seven of us on the council and there's one mayor. Yeah. And so I'm one seventh of one half, you could say. Yeah. And I've always served in a way that I express my conscience, you know, w- with kindness, but also with candor. Uh-huh. And um, I've, I've had disagreements, but it doesn't mean that it's personal. It's just me reflecting my conscience. Uh-huh. And, uh, but the outcome is, well, the city council supports or doesn't support, therefore Ben does or doesn't, but there's, it's a lot more to that. Yeah. There's seven of us. We all have an opinion. At the end of the day, we all have one vote and one voice. We have one microphone. Uh-huh. What we choose to do with it is what we do with it. And then collectively, the system that we're in, the form of government we're in, whoever, whatever the prevailing vote is, is what the prevailing vote is. And you really only get like, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes in a meeting if you want to take it, but like explaining your rationale you kind of have just a few minutes to address a room, and then a lot of people, that's all they get, right? Right. That's got to be kind of uh, uh, hard to make a nuanced decision. <laughs> Especially with the volume of information that we have. I mean, it is intense. Every week, it's hundreds of pages of studying, and and then by the next week, you're onto the next couple hundred pages, and two or three weeks of that, and you're a thousand pages behind, mm-hmm. and you it's there's just not enough space in your brain to hang on to every granular detail yeah. from a month or two ago. Yeah, but the community comes and they they have this three minute comment period and they're frustrated by it mm-hmm. and we feel you I feel you because mm-hmm. I'm kind of the same boat. It's not it's not the end all be all setting for building a relationship with people and getting to know one another. It's just yeah. not. Yeah, and, and I've always found that I've actually gotten to know people better when I walk to my car with them because we we leave the building together. We stand in the parking lot and we talk mm-hmm. and that's how you get to know what people really believe and what they really need. Yeah. Um, but that setting is there for a reason. It's necessary. It's important, but it's not the only setting where people get to know other people. Yeah. Right. 
right? Well, and in a way, it almost creates the perception, like, if I want to say something to my city councilor, I should say it here and not walk with them to their car, because maybe that's, I don't know, not transparent or something. Well, we're all people, though. Right. Right? Three minutes is not enough for any of us. Yeah. On anything, um, there's more to all of us than three minutes. Yeah. And so I always encourage people to come and talk with me. And, and you know, of course, I have a full-time job. I've got two kids. We've covered that I coach. Uh-huh. I'm doing everything I can in the community with the time that I have. But I like to put as much time as I can into returning phone calls, returning emails from people, sitting down and having a cup of coffee or lunch with people so we can hammer out things. It, yeah. it makes the biggest difference. And that's the approach we take in my professional world. Yeah, We don't wait until the final outcome to introduce each other to one another. <laughs> We're working on this together. We're partners all the way through. Right. And so at the end of the day, we might have like some disagreements on the policy at the end. But at that point, you understand each other as people to the point where you don't, you're not mad at one another. You just disagree. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. Disagreement happens. That's the point. (laughs) But what seems really tough when I watch is, you know, somebody makes a point in public. And so they've said their thing for three minutes. And if you in your time come back and sort of refute that or even try to maybe educate them, you know, on a couple of things, well, that's, they're not going to feel great about that because they were just speaking publicly about it and so then it that like like that kind of discourse just really is not productive a lot of times it's not it, I, I don't know how to do it differently other than so to, to, to hear them understand them empathize with them but if we don't take the time to get to know them and really understand what they're saying we're always gonna have that disconnect okay so like um let's talk about the the bird refuge for a minute because it's like a real hot button and i think it speaks to what we're talking about now like the answer to that has got to be really nuanced and it's got to be hard to say something that any of those uh, passionate people right now disagree with. I, I guess for me, it's not nuanced at all. It's actually super simple. It's about picking up a phone and calling each other. And I think that if the administration had just done that, when I say the administration, the you know, at the top, and if they would just pick up the phone, I mean, it, at the end of the day, we want the dinosaur park and the wildlife rehab center to thrive and succeed. That's what we should want. Yeah. And... If some time ago, if the Dino Park had a capital campaign that they were starting and a development plan that they had, which I didn't know until this whole thing started, mm-hmm. well, that's great. If that's what you need to succeed, how do we help? And we help by helping the wildlife rehab folks succeed too by, hey, the Dino Park's starting a capital campaign. What can we do to help you with your capital campaign too? Mm-hmm. Because this facility and this this lease is going to come due one day. You know, this, is, this should have been years ago, these conversations happening. Mm-hmm. And... When that day comes, we want you guys to land in an even better place. Or we want our building services to help you find a place. We want to help you with the inspection and helping you understand what code requirements there are and making sure that you're in the right part of the town that meets those needs. We have things that we can offer to help a partner, mm-hmm. right? But it's so important that that partner's success is a priority for us. Um, and so if we were more focused on people, I think that that would have happened, right? And so it puts the council in a really bad spot because that didn't happen. But here we are, you said the city, and everybody just assumes that's us, the mm-hmm. council too, and that every all seven of us are lock and step on what's happening, and we're not. Well, yeah, because uh, it's not like the mayor is asking for any kind of funding to do what, what they're planning, and so you kind right. of have no... It's a terrible position to be in because it's a purely a contract negotiation right now, and that it's very clear in law mm-hmm. that that's not our, our place. And it doesn't matter what ordinance we put in place, the law supersedes it at the state level. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, it's unfortunate. And in a recent meeting, if you watch them all, you probably saw me putting my arms up saying, we don't have any direct authority, but we do have influence. And this is me using it. But mayor, 
you got to find a way to make this work for everybody because this ain't it. Mm. We got to find a way to help the wildlife rehab folks land in a better place. And we, we need to make sure that the, the dino park comes out in a better place too. And I, I can't imagine this is doing with that many favors either. Mm-hmm. It's just not working for anyone. And it could have worked for everyone if we were given that opportunity to talk and help one another. Right. And, and offer these resources ahead of time. Like yeah. So. Yeah. So to me, it's not nuanced at all. It's very simple. Mm. It's put people first. And when you put people first, you inevitably find yourself in a better position with partners and you make better things, better decisions happen when you do it together. It's, it's, it is just the way it needs to be done. Right. But with the position we're in, the way forward is maybe nuanced, I would think. Oh, it's worse than that. It's a dysfunctional mess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I, we're all trying to help them, uh-huh. but that's a huge capital need in a really short period of time mm-hmm. with animals hanging in the, in the balance. And as a reminder, that's my career in my life, mm-hmm. time career of wildlife. The eagles that are in that facility are birds that we brought to them. Mm. So these are issues that are near and dear to my heart, and it's frustrating to see the position we're in, but it's heartbreaking to see the position that the wildlife's into. Yeah. So, yeah, you decided to run for mayor, and when you announced that the thing you were talking about was was a trust deficit, and I think that that kind of goes into what we're saying with the with the bird refuge there. So, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit, like where you think that trust deficit has sort of come from? Well, I think that trust deficit was a term the standard used. Oh, did they use Wait, it? Yeah, and that's and it's okay. It captures what I what I mean. It just was a it's a bigger word and a better word than what I was using, oh, which right. was, which was just trust and relationships with others and building partnerships. And I think that we're in this trust deficit because we haven't done that as an administration. And I say we because I'm so focused on us, and sometimes that means that I take a lot of the heat and, mm-hmm. and blame for things that aren't my doing, but it's so critically important that we are, we, us together, that um, I just have a habit of speaking in that way. But that's always my goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's not the culture at the top of the administration right now. Mm-hmm. And the the council feels it too. I won't speak for the council, I'll speak for myself. I feel it all the time. I don't feel like I always have that partner that I need there. Well, you that's know? what I was going to say is it seems, I mean, that's my read of the council is you all, sometimes you get the information when it's too late for you to be able to do anything. And then, you know, you're trying to figure out what you can do, but. Right. And I guess where there's a lot of critique of me is that I'm not destructive with my feedback about it. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) It's, it takes a lot of discipline and work um, to be constructive in that environment. It's not the best decision-making environment to be in. Mm -hmm. It's not the best environment for us to build our best selves and our best community. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're trying, I'm trying to make the best of it. And I'm trying not to make a lasting, negative, destructive impact while we're in this situation because there's going to be change coming soon. Certainly, I hope it's me. But whoever it is, they need to usher in that culture of change. Mm-hmm. And if it's not me, I'll be right there behind them helping to usher that in because that's what Ogden needs. Yeah. Whether it's me or them or someone else, that's beside the point. It's that's the culture that's needed. And that's what I intend to do. Yeah. Do you find it's difficult to campaign and not, I don't know, villainize other people? Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it gets back to that discipline, that, right? But it's easy to do when you when you know that there are good people in in there. It, it, it's such a habit of everybody to demonize anybody in elected office. Mm-hmm. But there are good people in that building. I mean, there are six hundred people in the quote administration. Mm-hmm. Technically, there are incredible people in those ranks and file. Amazing people, mm-hmm. hearts of gold that do nothing but give to Ogden. So. When you get to the point where you know that, it's very easy. Yeah. But it, but we always know that it filters through the 600 to the top and then back to us. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I don't want to demonize the people that are doing the work. And I'm not going to demonize the people that 
or making their recommendation based on what they think is right for Ogden, yeah. even though I disagree. I think that creates dysfunction and dysfunctional culture too. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be really dysfunctional for me not to speak my conscience and vote my will. Yeah. So yeah, it, when you put people first, I, th- I just feel like it solves a lot of problems, makes it easier not to demonize it. Also makes it easier to put your effort where it matters. So I'm curious then, when it comes to the way the city uh, works with developers, certain a couple certain developers, like I try to think about that and say, okay, what's the rationale? Maybe if we are supporting those developers, then you know maybe they're building it better, or maybe we need to have a good relationship with a developer to do something as big as say Union Station. So it's like a, a two way street. But I try to I try to rationalize that in my brain. Do you have a sense of what the rationale would be in those kind of relationships? I have a sense of what my rationale is. Yeah. My rationale is when we're doing projects in the city, we need to make sure we're getting the best deal. You get the best deal by making sure that we've got an environment of competition and choosing the same developer time and time again doesn't create that atmosphere. And so I really struggle with it. And it's not a critique on the developer. I, from what I understand, they're a very professional group. They do good work. Um, but just the perception that there's wrongdoing in the community, in my view, is unacceptable. If there is wrongdoing, obviously that's wrong and that needs to be figured out and, and called out and fixed. Uh, but all of the energy that we're putting into fighting about this is energy that could be going into making Ogden better. Mm-hmm. It could go into coaching kids in Untamed, right? That's energy. We all have a finite amount of energy and I don't want to be fighting over who got what project and why. Mm-hmm. I want there to be a really clear, deliberative and transparent process that's competitive and ensures that we get the best deal. Now, when we're talking about the best deal, um, that that's where the discussion needs to take place. It needs to happen totally transparently, but we need to know exactly what we're looking for. And if it, if it's not something that we can, that the markets can provide on its own, then we need to talk, be talking about incentives, but only then. Mm-hmm. And we need to make a very clear case as to why that incentive is necessary and what Ogden's going to get for it, mm-hmm. but not in some abstract way. I want to know exactly what people are going to get. How is this going to help kids and families? Mm-hmm. And absent that explanation, I'm going to have a hard time getting on board. Right. Yeah. So that's what I want. That's what I've always advocated for. I voted my conscience. I've been on the opposite side of the administration on a couple of projects as a result. And that is what it is. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it destructively, but I'm trying to do it constructively and come out in a place where Ogden can unify once again yeah, um, and be in a better place to, to make better progress without having to be completely dysfunctional when we're done. <laughs> yeah. Could the council, if they wanted to make an ordinance that like really spelled out how that process was to work and is it maybe just i don't know maybe you don't want to do that because it, it ties hands that you don't want to tie mm-hmm. you know what i mean right and we did do that mm. whether it's strong enough or not is an argument that we've had mm. uh, i'm not fully convinced that it is yeah i ended up voting for it because it's better than what we have which is nothing and i do think that some level of discretion and flexibility is important but all matters on how it's used and it's got to be used transparently and, and in a forthcoming manner yeah and so I supported it because it's a step in the right direction, but it's not quite far enough. And so what do you think can be done to improve transparency? We need to be having these discussions in the plain open air. There's always a culture in government to, to have the discussions in the background and then come out with your decision. And I don't like that. I just, I think there's nothing to hide when you're just having the discussions and you're reflecting your conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, Luis Lopez and I on the council have always felt that way. Give me the space to be myself and express my views. I'll do the same for you. And at the end of the day, if we respect where individual members of our council land, I think we create a culture of, of ultimate collaboration because we all have a chance to express our views. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that to me is true transparency. It used to be that people would view it as, well, make sure your documents are ready. Make sure you're, 
you've got three minutes instead of two minutes for public comment. All those things matter. But at the end of the day, it's how we operate. It's how we do the, the city's business. Mm-hmm. Doing it in the open, hearing the information in front of people and giving our reaction <laughs> all in real time, that's transparency. Yeah. I don't, there shouldn't be any doubt as to what we're doing and why. And if we can get to that point, we could save a lot of energy that's going to things that shouldn't shouldn't have to matter, like fighting about that stuff and put it into kids. That always drives me crazy. I want that energy going to kids and families. Yeah. Okay, so another thing that I just, I think about all the time, I want Ogden to be a artist-friendly town. And then homelessness, I'm very sympathetic to the homeless, but sometimes they're assholes. And sometimes, <gasps> you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I see a, a diaper full of crap at Dumpy Arts Plaza. And you know what I mean? That's just a really hard line to walk. I feel like if I was a city councilor, I wouldn't know what to do. So do you have any, any opinions there? Yeah. So let's start with homelessness. Yeah. So I, I know exactly the answer. And the answer is a people-centered approach, starting with Anna Davidson, who is our homeless services coordinator. Mm-hmm. And and an advocate and she focuses on individuals on the streets and she knows who they are and knows them at a level that knows what their scenario is and she knows who can be helped and wants to be helped and she knows how to help them Mm -hmm. she also knows who doesn't want the help who's beyond help and and just wants to be left alone yeah right and and if that's what they want we don't want to leave them alone to where they're getting in the way of your dreams and art Mm -hmm. um so we need to find a place for them that's that's constructive for them. But while focusing on the individual that we know can be helped and we can be and can be housed, if we put resources to to support her in the work she does, she can get people off the street. She does it all the time. You know, not at a massive scale because it's hard work. Like she has got a serious grind with every single case, but it works when she has the resources and support to make it work. And so again, this is why my campaign's focused on people. If we focus on the individuals, we can solve the problems for a lot of people. We need to scale that up and support her and her efforts so that you, as an individual who loves art, right, can thrive in an environment that you dream of. And then Ogden becomes the place for you to be your best self, whether it's art or sports or chess for all that matter. I don't care what it is. I think it's really good for kids to compete, right? So I would love to see you and your passion for art or people like you Mm -hmm. helping kids compete in art and be better at it and be just be better people in the future to me that's us being future focused there's no better way to focus on the future than focusing on our kids period they are our future so yeah we can do what you need we just need to do it at a level that's focused on people that's what works and i i know it works because so i mentioned earlier that my sister's the deputy city manager of mesa city before that she was at scottsdale she's got a huge amount of experience on, on big issues sorry about that and one of the things she oversees is homelessness issues in Mesa City. And she has brought together their um, neighborhood and community groups, um, all of their advocates and their police department and their fire services. And I put her in touch with Anna Davidson a long time ago. And Anna was new in the role. She was evaluating all the case studies around the country. She was finding out what works and doesn't work. And my sister was a huge influence in how we do business now, I think. Mm. I made the introduction and then I kind of stepped away because I need to let that organically yeah. happen. But it's a thing that my, my family has been invested in and that we know works because there's examples of it around the country. My sister did that same thing in her work, went around the country, found out what worked, and then she did the same thing for Anna and Froggen. Mm-hmm. Okay, when it comes to the Union Station, is there a correct amount of preservation to new stuff to be added? How, how much can we make that new and how much needs to stay old? Well, I think the whole thing needs to be historic restoration. I think it should reflect our history as much as possible, period. Mm-hmm. 
maybe that can't happen for structural stability or something like that. I'm not that guy. I don't know, but I think the goal needs to be as much historic preservation and restoration as possible. Mm-hmm. Anything that is on that campus ought to complement the history and the and the structure, in my view. If it gets in the way of it, it doesn't work. It seems like some people think that the desire by some to make it an actual transit hub conflicts with the desire by some to keep it like a museum. I don't think that conflicts at all. They're totally complementary in my view. I think that the history in the museum has to happen. We're not talking about just Ogden history. We're talking about state history in the railroad. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to have partners at the state level, including the legislature, to help us do that. So we should have a, a museum that we own, artifacts that we own, no one else, right? If it's not us, it's the state, but there needs to be stewards of those of that history and that that history should be a part of the campus that attracts people to it. Just like it used to be, it used to be the, the hub and how you entered and exited Ogden. It was without that station, we are not what we are. Mm-hmm. 25th Street's not what it is. We can do it in a way that honors and respects our history and preserves it and shares it. And we've got a lot to share and a lot to be proud of. So I don't see them as mutually exclusive at all. I see them very much as part of the same thing. And so what was it that, was it something specific that made you decide to to go for mayor or how did did that decision come about? Yeah, it was, it was a hard choice. I mean, no one, in my view, you shouldn't just jump into this and what, what the heck, right? This was a very deliberate process for me. I spent a lot of time as a firm no and didn't feel good, honestly. I lived with it for months and it was, uh, I had this turmoil inside of me about it. I never, I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't f- figure out why I felt so conflicted. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of f- close friends and people in the community reaching out to me and other candidates even begging me to run. And I just decided that there's too much at stake that, remember we talked about how you fall in love with Hogden? You fall in love with the people that you're building this place with? Mm-hmm. I can't turn my back on the people I love. And it's very clear who they are. I mean, I see the eyes of the kids that I coach when I think about it, one in particular. And I just, I can't, I wasn't going to be the guy that wasn't going to stand up for them, um, no matter how hard it was going to be. I mean, there's there's so much BS flying around us as candidates. I didn't want that in my life, right? It'd be, it'd be easier not to do this, frankly. I, had, I have a career that's unbelievable. It's my lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. To give that up was a hard thing to get over. And so... Yeah, it took me a while to decide, and I decided for the right reasons. I decided that I'm going to do it for the people I love, and because I know I have something to bring to this town. I always have. Yeah. And I have experiences outside of the city in public administration and policy and public finance. I've seen it done differently, and it can work. I know how to do it because I do it every day, and I can bring it here. And why wouldn't I do it if I can? I just don't think I could have lived myself if I didn't try. So I'm running because that's what's right. I feel better in my life for having decided. I'm happier every day. I'm sleeping better. It's aligned with my core purpose and my values. Mm. It's aligned with who I am. That's how I know for a fact I made the right choice. If I win, we're going to have a ton of work to do, and and I'm anxious to do it. And if I don't win, it's going to sting, right? Yeah. Because I'm human. But I'm going to go back to a career I love too, and I'm not going to live the rest of my life wondering or with regret. And I'm still going to be there for those kids in every way that I can be. But I want to be there for them in this way. Those kids, there's a lot of kids in this town that need their mayor to know them and to help them. Not by giving them everything in their first success. It's giving them those opportunities. Giving them a chance to take a chance on themselves. And I just couldn't live with the idea of not trying. Well, I mean, yeah, it's got to be hard to spend seven years getting to know all of the things about the city and really coming up with a lot of opinions about them, but being one-seventh of one-half, like you said. And so there's got to be a real draw to being able to really implement a lot of these things that you've probably been thinking about for years. Absolutely. And one of those things is being the partner for the city council that I've always wanted to have in my mayor too. You know, I'm not being completely critical of the man. He's done a ton and we owe him a lot. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, 
I've made lots of suggestions along the way, and they're not always welcome. They, they do things the way they want to do things. They're sometimes open to input, sometimes they're not. That's their job to decide, to be honest. So I want to be the one that makes that decision for us. Do you feel like that balance of power between the mayor and the council is good? Do you feel like there's anything about that that you know would be constructive to change? Well, I think structurally it's it's good because it's it's all rooted in in law and constitution, etc. Mm-hmm. So those parts of it are strong. It's it's how we use it in the day to day that that influence the strength of the balance. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we're too out of balance <clears throat> in terms of giving the administration more strength than the council. Mm-hmm. And as a as the mayor, not only would I be okay with it, I would encourage them to exercise their powers too. Mm-hmm. And it takes when it comes to power. It's really important to have a leader that's willing to give up some power yeah. in order to put the power where it belongs. And having sat in that seat, I know exactly the power that needs to be there and support them in exercising it with kindness and candor. But their decision is their decision. It's their role. They reflect the conscience of the community, and I want their conscience in every decision. I want it. I'm not saying I want it because I have to have it. I'm saying I want it because I want our decisions to be what Ogden gets, right. not, not just mine. So this campaign has got to be the toughest one that you've been involved like like the most heated one, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about, like, the differences? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not having any troubles with heat from the other candidates. They're all being very cordial and kind to me. Um, some people in town haven't always been cordial and kind. Mm-hmm. But this is a bigger race. This is a big deal. There's been a lot of built-up anticipation for this moment. So I don't blame people for having a lot of invested interest. I want them to have that. And so I can handle the heat. I just handle it with kindness and candor. Yeah. We have to have that level of dialogue or we're net, we're not going to go anywhere, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's been harder, but it's also been more invigorating because it matters more. Um, hard things are usually the most important things. Yeah. The hard decisions are probably the most important ones to make. Um, or they they'd already have been made, right? That's where we find ourselves. Yeah. I like that level of challenge because it comes with more impact. And that's what we're all after. Every single one of us wants impact. So let's do it. Like, I wonder if you have any thoughts about how people engage with government, like the kind of expectations they put on it. Or, I mean, sometimes it seems like people maybe react emotionally before they react, like, you know, before they even have all the information. Uh, do you have any thoughts about how people might be able to do some of that, like, more effectively? Oh, sure. I think a good place to start would be to not apply the national expectation on your local governance. Remember that your local elected officials are your neighbors. I mean, we're parents in the schools. We got kids on the ball games, right? We're, it's just us. Um, we're not Washington, D.C. We're Ogden, Utah. There has to be a big difference between Washington and national politics and local politics. Local politics ought to be local community building instead. So if we can come at it from that perspective, both as servants in the in these positions, but also as constituents in the city, man, we would be light years ahead of anyone else because the nation is buckling under that expectation that is out of whack for local communities. And that's why a lot of us retreat to this local work. It has to be about us building Ogden, building community, building each other, building people, building a brighter future. Like if we can just get to that starting point, man, we'd have so much more grace for each other and understanding 
it creates the environment where we can actually get to know each other like you and I are right now. And it sets us up for the ability to make an impact with each other. We have to get to that point. Hmm. So I will bring that as an elected official. I hope that you and others would bring that as, as people that love this town too. So uh, let's just talk about Ogden for a second. So when you have a friend come in from out of town, what's the thing you, you send them to first to show off Ogden? Well, I, I just had cousins in town last weekend. I just put them in my truck and I drive them around. I show them, certainly start with the mountains, talk about the trails, talk about open space, right? Bring them in, drive them through our neighborhoods, talk about um, downtown Ogden, show them 25th Street, Union Station, where everything begins. Show them how progress radiates from there. Um, show them the river project that I did, right? right? Um, show them the ballpark and the energy around the ballpark and how that energy starts to spill over and overlap with the energy on in downtown on the 25th Street. Um, there's so much to share here that it's hard to say just one thing, but it's so easy to share because it's like, it's us, right? We're all just proselytizing this town we share it with so much love and authenticity that it's kind of hard to stop right yeah yeah and talk about a competitive advantage that we have there's more people in this town that love this town and we'll go out and defend it and speak on its behalf than anywhere else absolutely not just that but we stand up and do the work roll up our sleeves do the pick and shovel work to make it what it is it doesn't happen by accident it's been made to happen by people like you like me and like countless others and we can do so much more if we're the kind of city that facilitates that kind of success. So nonprofits, other anchor institutions like the school district and the county and our state legislature, if we are the kind of partner that, that we can be, mm-hmm. imagine the magnitude of the impact, right? Yeah. And we put plans in place that guide the impacts that we're making. We can really start to funnel in a ton of energy that we organically want to give and not only do we make impacts but we make a life together that is meaningful yeah right yeah we're living the kind of life that we want because we're we're in the city we love with the mountains that we love and the rivers and we're making the impact that we want to make to do the kind of work that matters like that's a life well lived right going to bed tired but fulfilled that's a life well lived yeah right and that's the future i envision and i want desperately to bring to ogden and bring to this administration, to the council, to the community, to our partners and our people. Yeah. Are there organizations that you're involved in, you know, board, volunteer, anything like that? Yeah, I've been, I've been on the board of a bunch of places, uh-huh. you know, and you exercise fiduciary responsibility, but most importantly, sometimes you're pick and shovel. I like to do the work, mm-hmm. you know. The, well, what are some of the ones people might not know about? Um, so I've been on the Wildcat Club board because I'm a former student athlete and love Weber State sports been on the goal foundation it's probably the most pick and shovel work i've ever done as a nonprofit board member mm. but also the most fulfilling we built real things that mattered um i've volunteered and i work a lot with uh with pathways groups all of them across northern utah mm-hmm. in my day job um i work with a lot of conservation groups nature conservancy rocky mountain Elf foundation mule deer foundation sportsman for fish and wildlife those kinds of groups in my day-to-day and we have members of all of those groups in our in our city. Mm-hmm. And so Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, anything Great Salt Lake related, I oversee a team that does that. There was one thing I forgot to ask about. I'm curious about, did the council get to have much say in the BRT? 
Yeah, before me they did. Oh, before you? Yeah, it was. The plans go that far back? Yeah. Oh, oh. those are federal processes and bureaucracies off the charts. Oh. That's a huge build, um, and it predates my time. And it was like 99% done when I got there. But a lot of people put in a lot of work for a lot of years to get that yeah. to where it's at. But what happened on Harrison is just so, like, there's a few businesses on Harrison that I think aren't happy with it, and that's got to be. Well, I think there's there's businesses in the junction that, most importantly, they're mm. even more impacted. Mm. And it's really tough. Right. But same goes for construction all over the city. We're a city that has deferred maintenance galore. Mm-hmm. I'm talking decades and decades of deferred maintenance that we're catching up on and we are making tremendous progress mm-hmm. i mean we're night and day in a different place than we were 20 years ago and so deferred maintenance is i'm guessing there was some scheduled maintenance at some time and they decided we didn't want to do this now and so we're going to put it off absolutely somebody else can handle it later so, so for infrastructure most of our infrastructure has a 50-year timeline uh-huh. just in terms of reliable use and so within 50 years you better be having a plan to come back and fix it well, we're like up to a hundred years in some of these pipes. So it, it's long deferred mm. and it, the longer you defer it, the more expensive and the more, well, if something breaks before we're ready to repair it, there's a huge expense to go in and fix that break, right. followed by a huge expense to go back and fix the whole project. And so we're trying to do as much work as we possibly can. And Harrison's a good example where UTA and UDOT and the county and the city are all participating, but we are leveraging each other's uh, resources to get the most bang for our buck as we possibly can because we cannot afford as a city to do that level of work by ourselves, period. Mm. So while they're doing that kind of work, are we looking at the pipes and the age of the pipes beneath the ground? Heck yeah. And are we going to put it, synchronize it with the surface disturbance? Heck yeah. Mm. Are we looking at the sidewalks that our people need to get to school safely? Absolutely. Now are we going to do it at the same time and hopefully put some of those funds toward it? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Because the more we put to that, the more we can do in our neighborhoods to connect schools with, with our neighborhoods and our schools and our churches. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot happening, and it's it's hard to deal with on the day-to-day. Yeah. Um, I have to use Harrison every day to get to work, and, man, it changes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it has been frustrating, no yeah. doubt, no doubt. And I'm not an engineer, but I know there's a reason because we have the best engineers in the business, period. Mm. I know that for a fact. Mm. And I know that people were shooting that gap. Yeah. And it oh, was, yeah. it was dangerous. It's true. And so putting myself in the engineer's shoes, I'm like, okay, I'm going to save some people's lives. Mm-hmm. Probably going to take a little bit of heat for it. Right. Right. Cause it's inconvenient, but I'm not going to put some people's lives at risk. Yeah. So I, I honor that we, we have the best professionals in the business. Like I said, they're not going anywhere. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, gotta take the heat, right? Thank you again to Ben Nadalski for taking some time to sit down to talk. Thank you to all of you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Thank you to The Other Side of Hell for the studio space. Please tell your friends to listen and follow us. Find us on Instagram and YouTube for additional segments and video content. And have a great week.